Hi, I'm Jarrett Murphy from City Limits. And this is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. And today we are talking with the two leading Republican candidates for New York City Mayor, Curtis Lewa and Fernando Mateo. And this is obviously a part of the mayoral race, Ben, that has not received nearly as much attention from us or from anybody else as the very crowded, very fascinating Democratic race. Um, that is a field of people talk about eight major candidates, uh, a couple more on the ballot. This really is a two-person affair. Um, it, it could have been a larger affair, but uh, the ballot will not have any of those extra names because people did not meet their petitioning thresholds or got bumped off. So we do have Fernando Mateo, a guy who's made a name for himself as an advocate for uh, taxi drivers and for the bodega industry, and Curtis Lewa, who's been a fixture of New York City politics, policy, and I guess uh, street culture mm. uh, really since the 1970s as the founder of the Guardian Angels and as a kind of populist conservative talk show host. Um, they will be running in the June 22nd primary as well, early voting starting June 12th. And I guess the question that everyone asks is, do they have a chance to make an impact on this race? I mean, listen, whoever comes out of this primary is going to be a huge, huge underdog against whoever comes out of the Democratic primary. But, you know, you can never say never in politics. Um, you know, some people who like to point to the fact that uh, New Yorkers elected Rudy Giuliani to two terms as a Republican mayor and then Mike Bloomberg as a Republican, although, you know, obviously his party affiliation then switched around a bit. But but there was a good, you know, 20 year stretch there that's not that long ago of Republican or Republican kind of independent mayors there. So, um, you know, people people like to say that the failures of Bill de Blasio have opened the door more for a Republican to win again. Again, it's a very, very uphill battle. Perhaps it's to the uh, benefit of the Republican nominee that the primaries have been moved up. It makes the general election much longer from basically when we know the winners of the primary sometime in early July, let's hope, uh, until November is a long stretch. And I'm very intrigued to see what that looks like. But first, of course, you know, we have to see who wins this primary. And, you know, this is a this is a you know, a, a duo that has uh, a lot of character, a lot of controversy, and it's a fascinating one-on-one -on -one race. And I guess what would say, looking at that history, Ben, of Republicans who have been successful despite the Democratic advantage in New York City of Giuliani and Bloomberg, Bloomberg obviously having tremendous financial resources, but the moments where they both got into office were times when the city faced a great deal of economic uncertainty and uh, a, a lot of popular concern about public safety. And uh, that was true in 93, certainly with crime, although it was coming down, still being high, coming out of the 91 recession. And obviously after September 11th, concerns about safety in the city of a different nature, as well as a lot of economic doubt. And that's when Rudy Giuliani and Mike Bloomberg managed to kind of break through both in very close elections, but got in. So I suppose if you wanted to create a rationale for Republicans in 2021, it's that this is a similar moment in some ways. We face, obviously, from the pandemic, unprecedented economic uncertainty. And, you know, while nothing is of the scale as it was in 93 or even in 2001, crime has certainly risen recently, and there's a lot of, uh, lot of worry about that. Yeah, there's a lot of turmoil in the city. I mean, I will say, you know, as much as a lot of people in New York know who Curtis Lewa is, many know who Fernando Mateo is, you know, neither would have the type of profile, the type of fundraising uh, you know, or, or funding that a Rudy Giuliani or Michael Bloomberg had. I mean, those were pretty significant and unique figures there. So 
Uh, again, the general election we'll, we'll, we'll get to eventually, but I think this contest is really shaping up to be an interesting one-on-one -on -one, uh, that will be very colorful. Again, a lot of people won't be paying attention, but it's important to see who comes out of it because, again, the you know, the general election debate over the future of the city will be extensive and detailed and substantive in at least some ways. And so this Republican primary certainly matters as well, uh, especially just in terms of the choices that voters will, will have in the fall. And so to begin that look at the Republican candidates, here first is my conversation with Curtis Lewa. So I'm pleased to be joined by Curtis Lewa, who is the founder of the Guardian Angels and a Republican candidate for mayor in 2021. Welcome to the Max and Murphy Show. A pleasure. And by the way, I'm also uh, seeking to get on an independent line, getting the signatures and the first ever animal welfare line in New York City for the general. The whole focus is no kill shelters. Never again are we going to kill dogs or cats in the shelter systems of New York City. So I'll be hopefully running on three lines. Wow. All right. So you will almost certainly be a general election candidate if uh, those those efforts succeed, um, which is interesting. We'll talk more about that in a bit. But, you know, you obviously for New Yorkers of a certain generation, including my own, you're a very recognizable figure from your work with the Guardians and to many other people. You're also a very recognizable voice with your radio work. But for people who perhaps are not entirely sure who you are. Uh, talk about who you are and, and your background and what brings you to the 2021 race. Well, back in the late 70s, I was a night manager at McDonald's uh, up in the Bronx when the Bronx was burning down and thousands, tens of thousands of people were not just fleeing the Bronx, but fleeing New York City. In fact, we, if we were to compare it with the flight this past summer, 300,000, a million people were fleeing New York City in the 70s because of the crime, the arson, the abandonment, and the fact that New York City was on the cusp of fiscally going bankrupt. And as a result, there were draconian cuts that were made in the budget. Uh, by then, Mayor Ed Koch, he uh, no longer had uniformed transit police officers patrolling the subways at night. And so I tried to fill the void with volunteers, what became the Guardian Angel uh, Safety Patrol, and then we expanded into communities throughout the five boroughs. We're now in 13 countries, 130 cities with close to 5,000 members. It's all the same concept. Unarmed volunteers who go out there as an interracial force, they try to prevent crime and when necessarily physically intervene to stop crime. That's been our mantra for 42 years. And people know when they see the Red Berets in the subways or the streets that they can run to us for help because we're not going to run away from a problem. And what do you think the impact of the uh, Guardians has been over that time? Well, twofold. The Guardian Angels have been able to actually serve as a way for a lot of young men and young women, especially from the inner city neighborhoods, to get a second chance. Because we're not the kind of an organization that says, if you try to join us as a volunteer, you can have no criminal record whatsoever. Uh, some of our members have come in and have had quite a few problems in their past. And we've given them an opportunity to amend that. So by going out into the community, blacks, whites, Hispanics, Asians, males, females, working side by side, they're able to give back to the community, maybe in some of the same instances where they were takers instead of givers. And then naturally, having been a physical presence, a visual presence deterring crime on the subways and streets, some of our noted successes, people may remember back in the mid 80s during the crack cocaine crisis, 
uh, Broadway, off-Broadway, and restaurants were going dark all within the Times Square area because of the violent criminal activity. We were called in, and we helped revive the area before it became Disneyfied. And obviously, we've had an impact on the subways over the years. But in many, many ways, we're going back towards uh, the late 70s, 80s, and early 90s when we were fierce cities. So I really fear that we're not taking the measures necessary to stem the incredible rise of violent crime and the incredible unsafety, uh, lack of safety that exists in a lot of the subways and a lot of the streets uh, on a daily and nightly basis in our five boroughs. Over the years, the Angels have uh, received some criticism for being a vigilante group. Um, I know Mayor Ed Koch was certainly a skeptic at the beginning. Uh, how do you respond to those charges? Uh, are, are neighborhoods asked to invite you in, or do you guys just sort of show up? I mean, how do you handle that idea that you are um, a law enforcement force that is not in any way deputized to do that in, in any official capacity? Well, in the very beginning, 1979, you're right, Ed Koch uh, declared us to be the Hells Angels, vigilantes, a gang. Uh, he was proven to be hopelessly wrong. In fact, acknowledged that when he was out of office. He said, oh, the Guardian Angels, they're like chicken soup, liquid penicillin. It can only help. It hasn't hurt. And with all the fears and intrepidations that people had that we would take the law into our own hands, that hasn't occurred. Guardian Angels have been shot and killed in the line of duty. I was seriously injured, shot with five hollow point bullets in June 19th, 1992. There have been a number of Guardian Angels who have been seriously issued, uh, injured coming to the aid of people just recently, uh, this past June 1st and 2nd, when we were in the uh, Soho area, Midtown area, and fending off the looters and the rioters, I got a broken jaw. Another guardian angel had his eye socket broken, nose broken, 46 stitches, other serious injuries. But nobody has declared that as a result of our physical interventions, people have been seriously uh, injured or paralyzed or, God forbid, killed. So I think you look at a 42-year track record, and we're not just eyes and ears, see something, say something. You would say, boy, their training techniques have been pretty spot on to prevent people from getting out of hand, using too much physical force, violating people's rights, which would ultimately end up in us being arrested, rightfully so, charged, and then probably sued. And that just has not occurred. There was, I believe, one incident in the past year or so. It was videotaped on the subway, a couple of Angels volunteers getting in someone's face. And I think that's one where people thought it did kind of cross a line. Oh, it absolutely did. And in fact, the person responsible immediately called me up. I was on a patrol of the number six train in the Bronx at the time, and he resigned on the spot. He said, I violated our rules and regulations. I'm really sorry that I did this because I know I'm hurting the cause of all the guardian angels, not just here in New York City, but all over the world. And so we didn't put it before uh, a board of review. We didn't table it. We didn't say, gee, we won't do anything to this young man. Uh, hopefully, you know, all the noise blows over. No, we dealt with it expeditiously. He's out of the group. And we obviously use that as a training mechanism that you can't lose control of your mental or physical faculties. You have to be able to withstand verbal abuse. I and other guardian angels are abused from time to time, but that comes with the territory. We volunteer to do this. We cannot be violators of people's rights. We have to be protectors 
of people's rights, even if we don't like necessarily what they're saying at the time personally. So you've been doing that for a long time, and according to you and, and some others, effective at, at that. Why run for mayor now? What's the reason for throwing your hat or your case, your beret, uh, into that ring? I like that throwing my beret in there. See, you see, I, I <laughs> and not wear my beret from time to time as mayor. I won't be able to wear this beret. But the reason I wear the beret is that the number one issue that brought me into this race is the lack of public safety the crime that is taking place everywhere. And I waited until the very end, until almost the last day before you could officially file. So all the Democrats, some Republicans and others who would like to become our next mayor had an opportunity to explain to the general public what they would do about law and order, public safety, defunding the police, most of them said, as opposed to what I stand for, which is refunding the police and hiring more police. And I know a lot of people would say, well, wait a second, we're on the fisc of fiscal, on the cusp of fiscally dissolving because the one shot from President Joe Biden as part of stimulus will soon evaporate. And then we still have a budget that is out of whack with reality in terms of the taxes that are coming in locally from property tax and other sources. So I've come up with a plan to refund the police. We go after Jimmy Dolan of Madison Square Garden, Columbia University, NYU, that are nonprofits. We go after Rockefeller and Cornell Medical, which are sitting on troves of money. They don't pay any property taxes, and yet they've expanded enormously. And every time they take up usable land, it comes off the property tax rolls. And I want a designated tax specifically so that money goes to refunding the police, the billion dollars that was taken out of their $6 billion budget, and also hiring additional cops so we can get up to the level of about 38000 of staffing which will enable a police department to try to get control of the streets and subways, because right now they're out of control. And I attribute it all to uh, Mayor de Blasio. I call him the part-time mayor, the dope from Park Slope, because he is single-handedly taking a Miley Cyrus wrecking ball, not only to our city that we all love, I've heard this from Democrats, Republicans, independents, but also he has neutered the police department, rendering them now to be reactive, not proactive, and the only way we're going to get this city back on track is if there is a degree of public safety. There has, has to be safe rides for subway riders in the subways, safe passage on the streets, safety in the schools, safety in the parks. And if we don't have that, New York City will never recover economically and get back to the, the greatness and grandeur that we all knew New York City to be throughout the globe. I want to read something from your website, from the platform you have on public safety. Uh, somewhere along the line, politicians started caring more about millennials' feelings being hurt and the resulting backlash than the basic truths that pulled our diversity out of the tailspin of violence that plagued our streets before today's social media activists were a twinkle in their indulgent parents' eyes. Um, that's, first of all, a terrifically constructed uh, sentence, uh, quite impressive. The the calls for reform. Are you suggesting that are you suggesting that I am in, in, incapable of stringing together those five dollar words? No, no, I, I liked it. I, I I tend to write long, and I appreciate someone else who can do so too. It was quite quite a joy to read. But thank you, thank you. Uh, in terms of the content, the calls for reform that we heard in the summer of 2020 after George Floyd and some of the other incidents around the country. Were those really only confined to millennials? And was it really just about their feelings being hurt? Was there any kind of legitimacy to the concerns that people, many of them peaceful protesters were raising? 
Well, I was in the midst of all the protests, and for the most part, the protests were peaceful. Uh, people have a right to protest. The only uh, thing I would change is there needs to be a permit process. Uh, how you can just suddenly run into the streets, block traffic, and then go on sometimes, sometimes, not all the time, rampages in which you are violating other people's rights is beyond me. There should be a permit process. I've been in, in, involved in civil disobedience. I've been arrested. I've been locked up for civil disobedience. But there's a way to do it. You get your permit. You have your route of march or wherever your demonstration is going to take place. You have your own marshals. You see, I notice in all these uh, demonstrations, whether it's Black Lives Matter or affiliates or other organizations, they no longer have the marshals that used to be part and part of civil disobedience where your own people, your own men and women have been trained in nonviolent civil disobedience. And also they, they serve on the outside to make sure that the few don't go on a rampage and create, uh, create problems for the many. I would impose that back. That, that worked quite well uh, in everyone's interest. And if all of a sudden there was an impediment, the New York Civil Liberties Union is always ready uh, to go to one police plaza or court uh, to support the right of people to demonstrate. So that's number one. Number two, I think a lot of the younger generation, they have no idea what it was like in the 70s or 80s. They only see it maybe in movies or documentaries. And I can understand they want to reform some aspects of the police department, as I do. For instance, I don't have a problem with mental health experts going to emotionally disturbed person calls on 911. You hear the rattle all the time if you have a scanner on, but that should be in tandem with the police. So the mental health experts, they go in first. The police should be at the ready if things get out of control because when people have psychotic disorders, oftentimes it leads to incredible levels of violence that mental health uh, experts might not be able to deal with on their own. So I would have a mental health uh, squad of experts assigned to every precinct, almost like you have the EMT that is assigned to the fire department that will immediately go to a call for somebody who is ill, in addition, sometimes the fire truck too. There's no reason we couldn't do exactly the same thing. But in terms of taking away from the police department their options to get control of the streets and subways, I would disagree with these folks because I have the street experience. Look, I've been locked up 76 times. I've been on Rikers Island. I've been in these places. So I've seen it from the inside and I've seen it from the outside. I've seen how cops can give wooden shampoos, concrete facials, and abridge your rights. But I've also seen people who have, who have attacked police, uh, who have been just unfair and unjust in assessing the value that the police department has in preserving everybody's rights. And remember, when I got shot, Back on June 19th of 1992, the call went to 911. When people are in distress, the call goes to 911. That's the police. And unless somebody comes up with a different way of dealing with it that is as effective or even more effective, we have to support the police. And right now, a lot of, a lot of our residents have abandoned their support of the police. So one more question on public safety, which is about uh, your discussing uh, Mayor de Blasio and blaming him for the rise in crime. Um, if you look at the stats, murders did fall under de Blasio from 2015 to 18, and that they certainly increased in the past year or two, but that's been true almost every big country around, a big city around the country, um, red states and blue states, the murder rate is just up everywhere we've seen. And just in the past few weeks, several horrible uh, mass shootings in, in, in all manner of jurisdictions. Um, given that there appears to be something of a national trend, 
How much blame does de Blasio deserve? And to what do you attribute the bump we've seen just in the past year in terms of violence in the city? Well, I can compare it to what I experienced in the 70s and 80s. That was the cause for me to form the Guardian Angels. We did not have as many situations that involve emotionally disturbed persons. Crime after crime, I see these men, sometimes women, who are souls that are lost. They have no control of their mental or physical faculties. I run into them all the time. We've seen them pushing people in front of trains or trying to assaulting them. They're a danger to themselves. They're a danger to everyone else. And yet they've been allowed to roam the streets and live in the subways. And we had a program called Thrive. Over five years, a billion dollars of our tax dollars have been spent. I've yet to see any results of Thrive. I've seen some of the uh, folks who are running for mayor on the Democratic side complain about it, but they had subpoena power when they could have done something about it, like Scott Stringer, and demand to see the books. City Council could have done it. Uh, Tish James could have done it. They chose not to use subpoena power. The primary problem is that emotionally disturbed persons are having psychotic disorders and acting out, and they should be in mental health care facilities, getting their medication, and being taken care of. That's that's what a caring society does. The way we're handling our mental health situations, and Cuomo and de Blasio are responsible for this because they've released so many of the patients from mental health care facilities, is we've added to the problem. And now all of a sudden we're wondering, why is all of this happening? Well, I'll tell you why it's happening. You have people who need help. If they were physically sick on the streets, we would take them to a hospital and get them care. But we're not doing it when we see that they're mentally sick and they're desperately in need of care. And all we do is we just allow them to languish, sometimes in their own defecation, their own urine. What a sad statement that is on what we call a civilized society that we live here in New York City. You can't be civilized if you allow for abusive animals and abusive human beings and you know about it and you do nothing about it. That's change when I'm mayor. Absolutely going to change. I know property taxes are part of your platform, too. You mentioned earlier that your idea, one of your ideas is to uh, end the tax exemption for some of the large nonprofit property owners like universities and hospitals. People have had other critiques of that system, too, that um, homeowners get a break relative to multifamily buildings, that people who live in gentrifying areas like Mayor de Blasio pay less in taxes than people like me who live in the Bronx where property values aren't going up. So there are all these different inequities people have said in the system. Do you wanna pursue a broader reform that tinkers with that stuff? Or is it just about getting folks like MSG to pay their taxes? No, we have to. Uh, I want a 2% property tax uh, cap right across the board that involves everyone. Uh, If you're a senior citizen, 65 plus, you make $75,000 or less. Those are the people that are really seriously thinking, doesn't matter where they live in the five boroughs, of leaving in Florida and other parts. I I don't want them to pay any property tax. I want them to stay right here, wherever they live in the five boroughs. And the other thing I think is important when we talk about the inequity, let's say where you live in the Bronx, let's say we'll compare Morris Park to Park Slope or Brooklyn Heights or Carroll Gardens. Yes, there is a disparity. You could have a brownstone that's worth millions. And because the assessment was done like decades before the single or attached home that you're living in in Morris Park, you're paying more property tax in Morris Park in the Bronx or Eltingville in Staten Island or Canarsie where I'm from in Brooklyn 
than you would be if you have a brownstone that's assessed at a much higher level in terms of your uh, potential to sell it on the open market than these other houses. And he would say, hey, let's, let's establish a fair property tax. I understand why it exists, because those brownstones and those buildings uh, date back more than a century. And that's when those assessments kicked in. But we can level the playing field uh, without gouging. Because that's what the city does. And let's think in general terms, 50% of a $92 billion budget is paid for through property taxes. Little guys, little gals, to the big realtors, to the, the big whales. And we've got to make sure that that's fair and square for everyone because we're never going to be able to do all the things that some of the Democrats want to do. As perfect example, Yang, give out $1,000 a month to the needy. Where's he going to get a billion dollars in order to do that? There's no money in the budget to do that. We got to learn to do more with less as we did in the 70s and 80s. We've got to discipline ourselves and we got to figure out how to get property tax, which pays for 50 percent of our budget fairly from everyone. The small guys and gals, the mid-sized gals and gals, guys and gals. And then also, obviously, the big moguls, the whales, because I don't want to chase them away if we chase them away. Who's going to pay the taxes? I mean, 1% pay 42% of the income taxes in New York City. If they leave the personal income taxes, who's going to fill that void? You know, everybody wants to spend money. I get it. But you got to figure out where you're getting it from. President Joe Biden can't give any more. Congress can't give any more. We can't keep printing it, raising the debt ceiling and deficit ceiling. It's, it suggests that we're very selfish. We, we like to think that we want to help people. But it's our children and children's children's generation who's going to have to pay the debt, the big on this, the interest payments on this. We'll all be dead and buried and in a different stratosphere when that happens. So I'm concerned about that now. So you only have a couple left minutes left, unfortunately. And I want to ask you about your path. Uh, obviously, we have had several Republican mayors in the city in recent years, but it is it is a place with a pretty strong Democratic registration advantage. Um, you've raised something around ten, eleven thousand dollars. That's about uh, one one seven hundred sixty eighth of what Eric Adams has hauled in. Um, <laughs> so it's uh, it's a steep slope that you're climbing. Um, what do you think your chances are? More importantly, how do you think you go from where you're sitting now to actually winning in November? I'm glad you brought that example up of Borough President Eric Adams, who I've known for years. We're friends. But he gets to campaign as Borough President. So he gets a salary. He gets to wear the jacket, Borough President, the status of being Borough President, spend 24 hours campaigning on our taxpayer's dime. And Curtis Sliwa, who earned his income in talk radio, I had to leave the moment I filed 36 days ago and then begin the process of raising money to get the match. Some of these candidates running two years and they've been able to get the match and the match and the match and you say after a while is the system stacked against those average everyday people who want to run for political office and i would say yes the elected officials have the advantage and the millionaires the billionaires have the advantage i happen to fit none of those categories so yeah i'm ahead in the polls in the republican primary they just had a wall street uh uh Sienica college poll it says that I'm close to 40 percentage points ahead of my competitors. So I still have to raise the money to try to get the match because I know what happens in politics. I've seen it from the outside looking in. I've supported Democrats. I've supported Republicans over the years. I've supported independents. I was the chairman of the New York State Reform Party until Governor Cuomo 
dissolved almost all of the third parties in his vengeance against the Working Families Party, which was absolutely incorrect. So I've got to prevent people from dishonoring me. Because let's face it, if they know they can't beat you, what do they do? They slime you. They dishonor you. They try to distract uh, the conversation that should exist on the subjects that should guide us into the future. And I'm more than happy to debate any candidate, anytime, any place, because, you know, I've often spent my time in parks when I'm trying to mull over, you know, what I'm going to do, feeding the pigeons, because I have the pigeons follow me everywhere. And I talk to the pigeons that actually, believe it or not, <laughs> the pigeons listen to me. I'm hoping that the people likewise will listen to me in the city of New York and give me a fair hearing and then put everything on the balance uh, scale. Right now, it looks like me versus Yang. That would be great. Yang, who's on a learning curve to try to learn about New York City. And Curtis Sleeve, who is New York City. I mean, if there's anything that critics would say about me, as much as they might disagree, nobody knows more about the city of New York than Curtis Sleeve because I've been everywhere within the city in good times and bad times. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Sliwa, and good luck in your campaign. Well, if people want to know more, they just go to CurtisLewaForMayor.com, whether they're detractors, supporters, or they haven't made up their mind. Just go to CurtisLewaForMayor.com. And as you can see, some of my cats uh, were trying to interfere with your interview with me. They, they want me to feed them now. <laughs> Rescue cats. <laughs>